0: Aloha, my name's Simon and welcome to Sup FM. and if you're a new paddler then I just wanted to say a massive welcome to you, you've really joined a fantastic sport and uh, welcome to the SUP Tribe. This week we've got a bunch of bonus episodes for new paddlers as we get towards the launch of season four, so if you haven't checked out those episodes yet then give them a try and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on your favourite podcast app. In this episode, we're going to feature the advice of different experts we've had on the show over the years talking about safety. Safety does tend to be woven through most of our episodes, and it's something that, as instructors and as experienced paddlers, we're all still constantly learning about through our own experiences and others. Safety is one of those things which you can continue learning about forever, and it can get complicated because While there are individual factors which can cause difficulties on their own, sometimes even a combination of minor factors can lead to a risky situation, so there can be a lot to think about. Since producing our SUPFM safety course, I've found that learning more about tides, conditions, winds and lots of other factors has actually made my paddle trips more interesting because quite apart from the the safety aspects, different places have different things that affect the safety. So I'm always learning and it helps me to connect better as well to the area I'm paddling. This is not an episode which you can just listen to once and say, right, I know everything I need to know forever. I'll just crack on. The idea of this episode is to give you a basic idea about the Basic key areas to focus on, and to encourage you to take an actual lesson to improve physical skills and technique, and secondly, to build your knowledge. In terms of knowledge, there are lots of places to look for knowledge online, but me and Nick built our safety course to provide the breadth of subjects that we think you need to the depth that we think is right, but in a way that's accessible and clear and really concise without any unnecessary filler. And with the aim of helping you to be as self-sufficient as possible, as quickly as possible. And this content is still relevant wherever you paddle across the world. So we recommend the course. And by buying the course, you'll also be supporting the podcast. And the link will be in the show notes. OK, so let's get to some of our experts. And uh, Nick had a chat with Nick Ayres from the RNLI The RNLI is a charity rescue people all around the coast of the UK and Ireland in their orange lifeboats and their other craft. And they've saved thousands of lives since they were created many, many years ago. One of the things that they've noticed recently is an increase in paddleboard rescues because of new paddlers not understanding conditions. And if you do want to have a listen to the full episode, it's episode 44. So here's Nick talking to Nick Ayres of the
1: RNLI. Yeah, obviously it's a, it's a massive worry. And could you share some stories about, about rescuing peddlers?
2: Yeah, uh, there's, there's been a few, I mean, when I was working on the beach, um, there's been the, uh, the odd rescue where it's been quite, um, quite amusing, but then also quite scary, you know, near, near, near to getting really serious. And a lot of the situations are that they, they don't actually know, how to paddle um, the stand-up paddleboard, or um, knowing how to get back onto the paddleboard itself. Um, And it's really quite scary because, you know, they put themselves in this situation. um, They could get onto it on a pontoon nice and easily, um, fall off, and not even have a Scooby-Doo how to get back on. Um, There's been one recently that's been quite tragic, and it's something that the way that we're looking at our, our... approach to our safety messaging so at the online we always say you know um before you go out make sure you look at the tides um or if you haven't even done it before get get professional help before you even go out on the water always wear your leash and hold on to your board if you get into trouble so that first one always wear your leash um we're just working with our our governing bodies so like british canoe union um uh isa and um and the british uh, b super um the way that we sort of message that um in the sea and in the open water you know wearing your leash is fine but when you go onto a river situation where that leash can become a bit more of a hazard um if you're wearing just an ankle leash and the board goes one way you go the other side of a pontoon or a boat um you then end up becoming trapped especially if the water's going in the the direction that you're moving so we're just working at the specifics of, you know, if you're wearing a leash, you know, recommend to wear a leash, um, a, a waist leash, so you can easily grab hold of it and release it um, than, than your ankle strap.
1: It's also a worry in, in tidal areas, isn't it, in coastal yeah. wetlands where you have moored boats and yeah. the tide is streaking up and down. Yeah. I remember that something happened in Sydney Harbour a few years ago. A young mm. girl died, sadly. Uh, exactly the same scenario. Her board was, went one side and she was the other side mm. because it, it feels… I mean, we have a, a coastal wetland here where I used to train people in Faro, um, in Portugal, and so many. You know, we're just paddling innocently past these moored boats, and my mind is on full alert when we're going past those because you got you know you got six trainees there and they have no idea what could go wrong.
2: No, that's that's the thing. It's it's um, trying to get that message across that even really simple stuff, Nick, like saying you know the open water, you know the water is always moving. You know, it's it's not like a swimming pool where it's just you know the depth you know the sides it's it's the top level is moving depending on if there's a swimmers and whatnot but open water you've got wind you've got tide you've got undercurrents and then if you put a boat in there you've got the draft you know um so you've got lots of different bodies of water and, and sort of movements in that so we're just trying to get the most simple messaging out there. And and I think this summer's really proved it, you know, the way that we've we've managed to get those safety messages across on loads of different platforms. Um you could even say that we're, you know, we're reaching a, a new audience, a new visitor. Um and that's what we're trying to trying to capture. But yeah, going back to the leash, you know, we had a fatality the other week. Um, unfortunately, um, and it, and it was that same sort of scenario where, you know, the board goes one way, the the casualty goes the other way um, in those tidal locations. So, yeah, we just need to be really clear on what types of leash we recommend in that different types of water.
1: Yeah, waste, uh, quick release mechanisms. And obviously, we can't really address it all in, in this podcast because it's, it's not re- relaxed. But um, yeah, so we um, here at SubFM, we've created um, a water safety online course to address all this. And obviously, you have excellent articles on your website, on org, right?
2: Yes, that's it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So can you talk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, some of the other messages that we we sort of always say, um, like in most sort of activity, we always say carry a means of calling for help. So on your person, so whether that's a VHF radio, very high-frequency radio, um, that you can contact the Coast Guard, the emergency services on. or on a fully charged mobile phone. Um, if you're taking you know, the latter, the mobile phone, putting it inside a waterproof pouch, wearing it on your body, um, on your person and not on the craft or in the craft or on top of the craft, um, easily accessible. So slipped inside the uh, buoyancy aid um, or into your wetsuit. Um, and you can download various apps. There's lots of apps out there, like, you know, paddle logger, there's safe tracks app that we do a lot of work with, um, with the RYA. So the Royal Yacht Association, Yachting Association, um, and safe tracks is a really fantastic app, especially if you're in the UK, it's free to download. Um, you enter your details, your emergency contact details. You can do a, a it's called a sale plan. Um, so you just put your, your location, your point-to-point location or you know your your route um and how long it would normally take you um and if your your plan is over time um it will make a contact to your your known emergency contact and the text will come up saying have you heard from nick um is he back on land uh, if that emergency contact doesn't get back to the coast guard to say, yes, um, it's, he's fine. Then the coast guard will, will make that call. Um, they'll know your last known position if your phone has died or they'll pick you up straight away. Um, and the r if you're out on the coast, uh, will then, or the other independent lifeboats or the lifeguards will be able to pinpoint your exact location. So it really sort of takes that search out of the search and rescue, um, of the situations and then there's a few other things you know if you are going um, into the water always tell someone else back on dry land Um, they can raise the alarm if you're overdue always check the weather forecast and tide times um, the relevant information to where you're going Um, always wear a personal flotation device Um, so there's lots out there you know buoyancy aids or uh, waist belts uh, life jackets um and and always try and paddle with someone else that's what we always say you know it's much more enjoyable paddling with someone else you know we, we all know that we need some personal space but in the water open water you especially if you're new to the sport um just go with someone else you know go with a friend
0: so there's lots of really important advice in there particularly around being aware of water movement because if you're paddling in an estuary and the tide's going out strongly and then you fall off There can be plenty of things that a leash can get tangled round, And the same applies if you're paddling on a river with loads of flow. And getting a leash tangled in a high flow condition has been the biggest single reason for fatalities to date. So a waist leash is a really important piece of kit in those conditions. So the next interview we're going to feature is a chat I had with Will and Ruben from Sup Border magazine. And although the subject of the episode was touring, a lot of touring is about planning and being educated about what you're expecting when you're arriving to paddle and to set out on the water. And that's certainly something we would recommend you do before a paddle session, because what we don't want when you're building your skills is for the water flow the tides or the wind to take you somewhere you're not expecting or wanting to go um, i think i think you have to you have to
3: think about the planning so if you're if you're taking yourself around the corner into a new environment you need to try and i, I suppose uh, be be riskful be risk aware so think about things that could go wrong because you're going further you know, what happens if the wind changes you've just got to understand some of those risks and try and do your own personal risk assessment um, and we, we cover quite a lot and what how to plan a uh, touring exploring expedition but you've, you've got to you've got to try and understand some of the You've got to know some of the, your current unknowns, if that makes sense, by mm-hmm. become aware of some of those risks. Um, you've got to push yourself. If you want to push yourself and you want to get into sub-touring, you might have to do some things that you don't quite, you know, you're not, it's outside of your comfort zone. Um, but the challenge is to learn what um, could go wrong. So having a good understanding of the weather, the tides, um, currents, if you're looking at doing... Um, uh coastal paddling you've got to be very aware of some coastal tidal effects um and Mm -hmm. do your research um and then make sure that you've got the the equipment if you do get into trouble you can raise raise the alarm and the absolute best thing to do that that everyone's got is a mobile phone but you know you can go a lot further than that with vhf radios and personal locator beacons and all sorts of stuff but um yeah there's there's a absolutely loads that you can do and i think you just have to do your research ask ask questions ask people who are more experienced
4: yeah yeah mm-hmm. definitely. I, and i just push on what will say it's just it's just the the weather is the paddleboarders problem yeah if, if there was no wind every day and it was flat calm we could paddle anywhere we wanted to
5: yeah
3: <laughs> but it's mm-hmm.
4: never like that and you know unless you're in certain nice little islands but i was in even the islands you paddle around will they're not like that but so if, if i if i was going to give any one big tip is just understand the weather wherever you're paddling really well and just understand that the map the lie of the land where does it look and just and and like will says your exit routes if you can plan an exit route every 200 meters if something goes wrong, okay. I'll get out here something i'll get out here then then and you're staying close to shore then paddling, it is incredibly safe you know in that sense and you haven't got to you can go around the corner yes you might have to walk when you're on land you might have to hit your lift and all that sort of stuff but you know you've got to think about these risks in the greatest scale, how bad they really are and if you're on the land it's okay but knowing your weather and knowing your route and the map the the area you're paddling in well is definitely the biggest point to anything so if you do start in your local area and you do know it it obviously you've got a leg up and it's already easier for you to understand and work out your route which is definitely one of the biggest things
0: I was incredibly lucky to chat with Professor Mike Tipton in what has been our most popular episode to date. And Mike was talking about cold water, its effect on the body when you fall in. And we talked about clothing and techniques to help reduce the risk. And if you think that it's only something you have to be aware of in winter, that's not always the case. And for some inland locations, it may even be something that you need to be aware of 12 months of the year.
6: So um, there's a set of responses which um, occur when you first go into cold water, uh, and they're driven by a sudden fall in skin temperature. Now, the uh, thermoreceptors in the skin, the cold receptors, are about 0.18 millimetres below the surface of the skin, and so they cool very quickly. Um, The layer of subcutaneous fat you have, which everyone thinks is the thing that protects you against cold water, actually is below those receptors, so has no benefit to you in terms of cold shock. And the responses are, you know, the responses that people may have experienced when they got under the shower that was cold that they thought was hot or went in the pool that wasn't heated as much as it should be. It's a gasp. It's a a, a hyperventilation, uncontrollable breathing. Uh, There's a sudden increase in the work demand of the heart. The heart rate goes up. The peripheral vasculature shuts down. So blood pressure shoots up. So there's this range of initial responses, which are part of our fight or flight response. Um, the the response that prepares us to run away or fight, but is totally inappropriate in water. And we decided back in the 80s to call it the cold shock response because it was easier than running through the list of initial responses I've just mentioned. It's not shock in the traditional medical sense. It's just shock because it's a shocking response. Um, And it peaks in the first seconds of immersion. But the important thing for people to remember is that you sort of regain control of your breathing after about a minute to 90 seconds. Um, The only thing you've got to be very careful about in that period is making sure you keep your airway clear of the water because the lethal dose of drowning, lethal dose of water for drowning into the lung for an average adult is about a maximum of about a litre and a half of salt water. Now, just to put that in perspective, if I take a big breath in now, that's about three to five litres. The gasp of the cold shock response is two to three litres. So just the first breath can be sufficient if you happen to have fallen off your you know, your board and submerged and taken that gasp, uncontrollable gasp, to put you over the, the limit for drowning.
0: Absolutely. Certainly in terms of the guidance that we get from our certificating bodies um, across the UK, certainly from B-Super, Is that when you fall in to try and fall in, if possible, backwards and if possible with your arms sort of spread out. So you do whatever the reverse is of a belly flop. And, you know, part of the reason is to keep yourself right on top of the water as much as possible because you don't know what's lying there underneath the water. But also to keep your mouth above the water at all times.
6: Well, that's very, that's very good advice, and um, if obviously you can use your board if it's still you know around for some support. Uh, the, unfortunately, the sort of natural physiological urge when you go into cold water is to thrash about and swim fast, and you know people you know panic a little bit, uh, and it's fighting that instinct and actually realizing that you want to just humans float um obviously they particularly float if they've got a life jacket on but even if they haven't they'll the most most humans are positively buoyant um and just relaxing and keeping the airway clear of the water and giving it about a minute to regain control of your breathing it makes an enormous difference about 60 percent of those that die going into cold water around the uk die in the first minute or two
0: yeah and learning lessons from that it's Vital to get out of the water as quickly as possible. So when you do fall in the water, you fall in in the way that I mentioned, just making sure that you keep your mouth and your head above the surface. If you can, you float, you get your breath back and then you make sure that you stack the rest of the luck in your direction by making sure that in advance, obviously you're wearing the right outfit, the right clothing. So whether it's a dry suit or a wetsuit or whatever works for you. And this is also where the the PFD, the personal flotation device, comes in as well, because that allows you to float higher in the water, maybe stop you from um, going quite as deep in the water when you fall in initially. And of course, the most important bit of safety equipment is your leash, which attaches you to your board. That might be a quick release leash, but essentially it means that you've got a big floating raft right next to you. And then you can hop back onto your board and warm yourself up with a a good hard paddle. So I think it's all about being aware of these potential stages and how things can go downhill really very quickly if you're not prepared.
6: Yes, and I I agree entirely. Uh, You know, life jacket, PFD, incredibly important. Uh, the, probably the single most important piece of life saving equipment somebody who's going to end up in water can have. Uh, every year, we do an analysis of the number of people who have died that year because they weren't wearing a life jacket um, when they should have been, and the numbers are staggeringly large and sad. Um, and also, quite rightly, you know, you've got an enormous flotation device there in your board. Make sure you, you keep it with you and know that. There's no situation where you're not better off out the water than in in the water. A human cools four to five times faster in water than they do in air at the same temperature. Um, Water is just a fantastic fluid for removing heat from the body. Um, And air is actually not not that good at all. Air is actually an insulator. Um, And one of the things that bothers me slightly about stand-up paddleboarding is, of course, because you can spend quite a lot of time in air, you begin to think that that's the environment that you're operating in. But of course, when disaster strikes, it won't be air that you'll be operating in. It will be the cold water that you're standing on at the start of the event. And that's what you need to be prepared for.
0: Exactly. And I think it's probably not so much the winter which provides the most risk and the most danger for stand-up paddleboarders, because if it's frosty outside, you're going to dress for those conditions. I think the time of the year that's most risky is the spring when the water temperature is still very low and the sun is up and you're feeling hot. And the last thing you want to do at that point is to put on a wetsuit or a dry suit because you're exercising hard and you'll overheat. So the danger is that you're wearing your normal kit, your board shorts or whatever, and then you fall in at that point because the difference between the air temperature and your body temperature is high. And the water is absolutely at its coldest.
6: Yep, that's absolutely right. I mean, it doesn't just reflect itself in the risk to um, paddle boarders. That's when we see the most drownings as well. Because, you know, early summer, because of the differences between air and water and how much um, easier it is to heat up air than water, we'll get some sun in, you know, May. April, May, air temperature will go screeching up, and water temperatures as cold as it's it's going to be. And then, because water temperature, of course, is not at its highest until about September, October. So, yeah, the really dangerous time of year is that 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 first sort of war, those first warm days of spring, where where people think that they're dealing with a nice warm air environment, not realizing they've got you know a potentially lethal water temperature beneath them.
0: Is there anything that we can do to prepare ourselves to condition ourselves in advance? I know people talk about cold water swimming and, and cold water immersion as a preparation for accidentally going into the water. Would that help a paddleboarder? Would that help condition them for a accidental swim?
6: Yeah, I mean, th- when you think about protection... There's there's two major routes. There's physiological and there's technological. And as I say, historically we've always chosen the behavioural slash technological route. Um, and and in this context, for a, a you know stand up paddleboarder, the technological stuff would be protective clothing of some kind, of which you know most people know that there's lots of that out there. And you know, and the major um, objective of clothing that's going to protect against cold shock is to slow the rate of fall of skin temperature um, and cover as much of the skin as possible because the faster the skin cools and the bigger the surface area exposed the bigger the cold shock response and the more uncontrollable and long lasting the respiratory drive. Um, Putting that to one side the technical side the physiological side is yes humans are very good at habituating to the cold shock response so as few as six two or three minute immersions in cold water can halve that cold shock response. More importantly, it means you get control back of your breathing sooner rather than later. Um, so we've done studies where we've looked at, you know, putting people into cold water for two or three minutes, and we'll find that we can, as I say, halve their cold shock response after about six, three-minute immersions, and that up to 14 months later that reduction is still 25% reduced. So not only can we habituate fairly easily, it's quite a long-lasting change. And it's classic of what you'd see. You mentioned open-water swimmers. It's classically um, what you see in open-water swimmers. I mean, we've had, we've had channel swimmers. We've had um, Lewis Pugh when he was doing his swim along the south coast of the, of the UK in the lab. And you can't actually see when you look at the traces when he goes into the water. He's so habituated to cold. And I guess the final thing to say, um, on, on this particular topic, is um, you know, we go back to where we started with prevention. And what one of my hobby horses and passions has been to try to get water safety messaging into schools. Um, I, you know, and I don't mean teaching kids about tides and the moon and the sun. I mean just If I could get everybody um, to understand three things, um, I think we would have an enormous impact on drowning. Number one is that tides, the water comes in and goes out. And when it comes in, you can get trapped uh, in a bad place. Understand that. And it it may surprise your listeners to know that there are people who go to the beach who didn't realise that the water comes in and goes out because they've just not grown up in that environment. Number two is to identify a rip um and what to do when you're in a rip so uh, you know swim parallel to the shore you will be out the rip rest until you get out the back of it raise your hand and the third is what to do about cold shock and we've already we've already discussed that uh, and if we can get that taught in every school in the uk we will absolutely um you know smash the drowning statistics at the moment we're losing somebody every 20 hours we're losing a child a week that is unacceptable for an island nation.
0: So, if you want to listen to that episode in full with Professor Mike Tipton, it's still available and is episode 59. Now, technology is an important part of keeping ourselves safe, and Nick Ayres talked about the SafeTracks app earlier in the episode. And we've actually produced a comprehensive guide to all those apps that we use, not just for safety, but also for weather, to track routes, to identify best paddle locations. And the guide is available for free. If you go onto our website, SUPFMPodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and enter your email and we'll send that out to you for free. In season 2 Nick talked to David Walker of Paddle Logger about some of the safety features baked into his app and if you do check out Paddle Logger there have been some other enhancements since this
1: episode was released. You briefly mentioned um what's the what's the feature called Paddle Live? Yes,
5: yeah, so so Paddle Live is is something that we started working on uh, a couple of years ago. We launched it last year. Uh it was called Paddler in Trouble which we found possibly a bit of a mouthful and in quite difficult when we refer to it as pit people kind of go well well, what's that um and it's this idea that you as a paddler are constantly connected um when you go out on the water you press the one button to start you're connected to someone on land instantly they know where you are if you have an, a, a diff, you get into difficulty, they are able to to uh, maybe get help to you. You can quickly contact them, or f- what we call firing a digital flare, letting them know you maybe you're you're, you're uh, getting into difficulty, and they get they get a trip map. Um, so so when it came to things like the virtual racing and people getting back onto the water now after lockdown, a lot of these events are encouraging people to to go out and post their best time and to do all of that, but. Do it with social distancing. So, if we're saying to people, "Great, get back on the water," but do it alone, it, it's you know we feel it's more important than ever to be using a system like ours, which which just gives not only you but um, you know your loved ones that little bit of peace of mind that they have always know and connected with where you are whilst you're on the water.
1: Have you ever had anyone firing off a digital flare? Any any stories that you've heard about?
5: So, I mean, I mean, for, we're very very fortunate. We haven't had anything where. I would say it's been used um, in anger um, at a high level emergency. Uh, we have had lots of people where they've been okay and the system's kind of worked, it's been checked in. You know, I had a lovely email from from someone last week saying, I just wanted to say, really grateful. You know, I was out, I was paddling, I was fine. The system, I'd forgotten to check in, my wife rang me. It was really comforting knowing that she was able to do that. Um, and, that, and that's really, really cool. So we know that, that, that people definitely appreciate the service. And yeah, I can say, I think it's almost a good thing that possibly we, we don't know of any uh, stories where it's been used in anger and, uh, and uh, people have got into serious trouble. But it could only, you know, there's more and more people getting on the water. You know, it, it could be, it could just be a matter of time.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and new paddlers as well getting on the water. So who need this? Um, the digital flare, does that fire to your appointed other? um or whatever your 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 friend that you've allocated onto the site or does it go to the emergency services
5: yeah so um when you uh within the app uh you'll be able to uh, set up five emergency contacts and that it goes directly and they're the people that get the the emergency messages um that's quite a difficult one i think we were very very aware that this is something where it you could end up with a lot of false positives right and we didn't want to be bombarding emergency services with, oh, no, accidental or this isn't, you know, I've just stopped off at the pub on the way home after a paddle and, you know, not forgotten to turn it off when I've been caught out. You know, like there's there's lots of scenarios where actually as, as a paddler, just having someone go, OK, this has gone into red alert. I just may need to call them to check in or I can go to a headland and see if they've got into difficulty. There are lots of reasons why um, they someone might go into a red alert. And then it's up to really the emergency contact to make a very informed decision with the information they have as to what the best you know, course of action may be. And that's what it's all about. is providing information to make the best course of action.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic feature.
0: Before we finish, there's another key risk factor, which is super important to understand and be aware of, which is the effect of wind. And if you're paddling on a coast this year for the first time, this is a critical one to understand particularly the effect of offshore winds, because this is one of the key things that can put you somewhere you don't want to go. If you haven't yet listened to the bonus episode with Sean Scott all about ice ups, then we cover it in that episode. But for a beginner, if there is an offshore wind of any description, I would stay on the beach and if there's an offshore wind and then you get down to the beach and you think it's fine and you can't feel it there, then please still don't go out because what may have happened is the cliffs behind you are sheltering the beach from that offshore wind causing what's called a wind shadow. And what you'll find is if you go any distance from the beach, then it may become more exposed and it will send you travelling out to sea in the wrong direction. So that's it for this episode. There is lots of great safety information in there to build on. Now, as I said from the kickoff, I hope this helps as an introduction to safety. And the fastest way of building skills is with an instructor. And the fast way of building knowledge about safety is through a focused course. So thank you for listening. All links are in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe or follow the SUPFM podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Welcome again to the Paddle Tribe and I'll see you on the water.